Our Lakeshore campaign features content that some viewers may find uncomfortable, including gun violence, drug use, and sexuality. For more detailed information, including full content warnings and transcripts, check out the show notes or our website, therealmscast.com. Previously on Lakeshore, Susan and Roman set in motion the plan to trap the demon Malarax in Fairmont Park. When it arrives, Susan manages to subdue the creature as Ileana completes her ritual to open a portal to the Fey home of Arcadia. When Susan becomes trapped in the pull of the portal, Joan rushes to free her, and Susan lets Joan take a bad hit from the demon's severed tail so she can escape. Meanwhile, Knox and Kitty bring a terrified Philip back to the resort cabin. He reveals that he has known all along about the mayor's schemes and was planning to flee the region entirely with his wife and daughter. Kitty convinces him to stay and fight, but with their car destroyed in the fight with Mickey, they have no way of getting back to town. Kitty bribes the resort manager into selling them a battered old pickup truck, and our heroes begin clunking their way back to Lakeshore. Hi, I'm Jory. I play Kitty the Aware, and it's good to be here. Hi, I'm Eli. I play Roman the Fate, and it's good to be here. Hello, I'm Jordan. I play Knox the Tainted, and it's good to be here. Hi, I'm Jillian. I play Susan the Hunter. It's good to be here. I'm Jesse. I'm the MC, and I just found out there are no Frankensteins in this game. Welcome to many realms, I guess. you are driving this rugged, rusty, crusty, musty, beat-up, old, faded red, shitty pickup truck down a long, straight, rural dirt road that leads, eventually, you hope, back towards the city of Lakeshore that you call home. To your right sits the demon pal, Knox, sunglasses protecting his pale skin from the bright sun, bolo tie flapping in the breeze. I'm I'm getting a little too far into this, I think. (laughs) Just like it. Uh, I picture Knox is like always wearing a suit with like the bolo tie. T-shirt with a bolo tie. Sometimes might lose the blazer. Just a vest and a bolo tie. (laughs) Yeah, take everything off but the bolo tie. Knox is beside you and to the right of him is Philip. The two are poring over a worn out and possibly decades outdated map that Philip found in the glove compartment of this pickup truck. There was some conversation along the road earlier that it might be for the best if you took more uh, obscure rural routes and country roads. Maybe the main highway leading back into the city could possibly have uh, any sort of surveillance by the mayor. But yeah, you've had a hard time. Philip is not an amazing navigator. He's been bickering with Knox. There was a question of whether or not a path you were following is actually just a coffee stain on the map for a while. And now you are pretty sure you're heading west, but along this shady country lane, there are patches of pine trees off in the distance. You think you see a cow at one point, but mostly you're just seeing huge lots of land. Oh, also Betty is in the uh, the back flap of the pickup truck, squatting on the luggage, taking selfies or whatever. Philip is trying to get your attention, Kitty, to uh, tell you to make an upcoming turn in a couple of miles when, without warning, the hood of the pickup truck comes loose and flies up and uh, hits the front of the windshield, completely obscuring your vision. You can see streaming along the sides of the truck as you continue to barrel down this road are clouds of thick, heavy smoke. Kitty, since you're driving, you need to make a keep your cool roll. So that is 13. Oh my God. Okay. Have you ever seen the Fast and the Furious? <laughs> <laughs> that Tokyo drifting. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kitty Tokyo drifts 
as the as the hood flies up and uh, even cracks like the windshield. You all let out a hearty set of screams as Kitty uh, slams the brake and spins into like a cool fish tail that like slides and, and rips up big clouds of red dirt on this road. And your vision in 360 degrees is obscured. You can hear Betty screaming and swearing as she digs her, her hand into the uh, side rails of the pickup flatbed. And uh, eventually after, you know, 10 seconds of screaming and mayhem, the truck comes to a halt. Knox, you get a whiff in the air of some sulfur in the smoke that is blowing alongside from the front of the truck. Gross. It's always got to be sulfur. Sorry, what's the state of the truck right now? Totally fine. Hasn't like tipped or careened or anything. Just like had a hard stop in like a big wide dirt road. Probably the best possible place to get in an accident, really. But there is a lot of smoke pouring out from the hood and you can't see what's going on because the hood has been flung up. So there's a demon in there. Well, that's my line. This is why I don't want to let you look at my notes. I reach over Philip and I, I pop open the door and and I tell him to get out. Okay, Philip looks a little bit shaken, but he clambers out of the truck and uh, squats with his hands on his thighs and takes some deep breaths. And he says, that that doesn't smell like coolant or transmission fluid. I will look in at the engine. Do we have salt in the car? Do we have salt? You you canonically, I think, had some salt that you took out with you to go investigate the parking lot. So you probably still have it with you. Great. I'm going to take a box of salt and leave the car. Philip heads over to the back of the trunk or the flatbed to check out Betty, who is, you know, hopefully not injured or anything. And Knox and Kitty move to the front of the truck. Knox, you don't know anything about cars, definitely, but you uh, have smelled this tinge of sulfuric smoke maybe half a dozen times in the past two months. And when you lean over the hood of the car and start to waft away the smoke with your hands, you can see the demon Laxies curled up around the engine of the car like a like a possum in winter trying to find a warm place to sleep it looks up at you with harsh eyes and you can see that laxies laxies look smaller than normal which may or may not be just like a function of demons can just do that you're not quite sure but you know laxies classic vanilla laxies can't like fit in the hood of a car normally but the other thing you notice that quite stand out is that laxies looks like he's been hurt quite badly there are like lacerations across his four legs that are strangely like leaking a certain soft golden light. They it looks like he has been like maybe whipped or struck. And instead of bleeding, like a sort of shimmering energy is coming out of Laxie's body. He's he's making sort of sounds that are between a growl and a whimper, like a like a mean dog just trying to avoid uh, any altercation. What do you do? I pick him up gently out of the engine. Okay, Laxie's fusses and squirms in your hands uh, like he wants to be put down. Aww. Why is you such a demon? Set me down now, mortal. <laughs> okay, I set him down. Laxie's trots around in a circle on the dirt road and then looks up at you, Knox. Uh, Kitty, how are you? How are you reacting to this turn of events also? Probably taking a step back. What's going on? What's that? Just a minute. Laxies uh, stands on all fours and you can see, yeah, he does look like he's in pretty bad shape. But as he moves out of the engine, you slam down on the ground. He's starting to sort of return to his like original size. He's sort of like swelling and trying to sort of puff himself back up because I think he can tell that you are looking at him with like a little bit of confusion or dare I say pity. And uh, he doesn't like that one bit. Lawrence Anderson, the time has come to complete our arrangements. If you fulfill one last task, I will relinquish control over your immortal soul indefinitely. Uh, I nod. He takes one step forward. He scratches in the dirt and then lifts a paw, and you can see the paw looks like it has been mangled and, and chewed and scratched up. Laxie's always kind of seems like he's speaking over you or around you, but this time he makes intense eye contact with you, and you can tell that he's really trying to focus in on you and communicate with you directly, Knox, he says. Lawrence Anderson, I command you to kill Rex Lemaire. You have three days. Whew. That's a sweet deal. You gonna question that? No, I'm just, I'm just gonna nod and, and I, I, okay. Put this, for having things on tape, put this on tape. I have an interesting relationship with Galaxies considering, you know, it did save my life. At the end of the day, that did happen. 
And so... When did Laxey save your life? When I was dying. And I was like, oh, oh I'm yeah. dying. Like the OG time. The OG yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so there, you know, the, in some ways, it's not unreasonable for him to ask for these things. And so, you know, to be like, fuck this demon that saved my life is like kind of like entitled and uh, uh, spoiled a bit. So to, to, to have these requests, especially when one that now kind of aligns already is like, yes. Like I, I like in some ways it's like there's definitely a part of Knox it's like oh well I owe him that much. Kitty has questions. I'm also here because <sighs> I would recognize him as one of the thirteen demons, right? You sure would. Oh yeah. Can you, can you give me an excuse me, sir? That would be pretty pretty great. <clears throat> to Laxies, to Archdemon <laughs> Laxies, mailing address hell. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> Uh, demon, sir. Um, ex- excuse me. Uh, <laughs> Can I talk to the manager of hell? <laughs> She's changing her name from Kitty to Karen. She's nice. trading her MG nice. for a white Chrysler LeBaron. Oh my god. <laughs> that's such a that's such a good pull. I'm proud of myself. I'm so sorry, Jerry. Please, please. I just love cake. Cake is great. <laughs> okay. Um. So, sorry, you're one of Rex's. I don't want to say stooges. A wise decision. <laughs> However, <laughs> you're one of his say it. guys. <laughs> Why would you want him killed? Do you not have a deal? Laxie surveys you and looks you up and down, and it's hard to tell if he recognizes you from your previous encounter because a lot of stuff was going on at that point. Rex's control is weakened. If he can be disposed of, I will be free. His control was weakened. How is he How is he controlling you in the first place? Rex is a potent magician, but his attention is being pulled in multiple directions. So what way is his attention being pulled right now? Philip pokes his head over the back of the t- truck and he's like, Kitty, it's because of the mayors that what I was telling you about, the plan, it's that. If Evelyn Graham completes her machinations, I will no longer have any opportunity of freedom. Hmm. I suppose that's true of all of us. He tilts his head appraisingly. Laxies springs forward at you, Kitty, and you sort of flinch, and he darts past you and onto the hood of the truck, and then with the same momentum in a single bounding leap, he jumps onto the roof of the cab and then launches himself into the sky where in a puff of sulfuric smoke, he dissipates into the air, leaving the four of you alone in the mid morning on this uh, isolated dirt country road. Susan, you come to in Roman's room. Someone has brought you to the bed and tucked you in under the blankets, taken off your leather jacket. Harm wise, you seem stable. Like maybe someone has treated you, you don't know for sure, but you still feel an intense ache from your burnt skin as you had uh, a very intense confrontation with the demon Malorex some time ago. The curtains are drawn and you're not sure exactly what time it is. As you start to stir and sit up and uh, ascertain your surroundings, you see a figure sitting in a chair by the door. It is Nancy. She is dressed differently than you have seen her before. She looks a little bit more uh, formal, a little more grown up. A lot of her outfits have been very like, youthful and jaunty and right now she's wearing something that is probably like for once period appropriate for like a mid to late 30s woman to wear she's got like a a high collar and like full gloves on and a dress that touches the floor all of which are very un-nancy like uh options as you stir and you come to she looks over at you on the opposite corner of the room and she says you're awake yeah what what time is it Two. Morning, evening. Afternoon. Right. Why do you look like that? Nancy stands up and she crosses over and she stares down at you in the bed. Her expression seems cold. She says, um, I had somewhere important to be earlier today. Want to fill me in? I was at the hospital with Joan. How is she? That's pretty rich coming from you. Asking a question like that. What? Is she okay? Susan. I saw what you did. 
I thought what happened to Joan. Uh, Susan averts eye contact. How could you let that happen to her? You, you let her take that hit. I saw everything. That girl looks up to you, Susan. She loves you. She would do anything for you. And this is how you treat her in return. How could you? How could I indeed? Lord. But we won, didn't we? That's not the point. That's not what we're talking about. I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. So you're just going to lie there? Smug? And safe? I don't think you deserve that opportunity. You know something, Susan? Let me tell you something. You think that just because you're so strong and so capable that everyone else has to be just as strong as you, but that's not the case. You know Joan is 19, right? Yeah, that's the worst part. <laughs> She's a child. Do you know how happy she was when she told me that you gave her the honor of digging a bullet out of your side? She was over the moon. She worships you. And this is how you treat her. This is how you treat all of us. We have been running ourselves ragged for the past two months while you have neglected your duties here. Joan patrols six nights a week in that park and it would be seven, but I told her I would call her parents if it was seven. So she stopped. I... I... I owe all of you so much. Look, Nancy, I... I'm sorry, I... I've been... I've been distracted, I've been... I just... I just wanted to win. You call this winning? She opens the window and you can see from Roman's bedroom a view over the park. Instead of the lush green forest that you're familiar with spanning most of the southern half and where the Natural Society building is, you can see um, huge pieces of wreckage, toppled trees, boulders that have jutted forth several dozen feet from the surface of the earth. It looks like some kind of massive seismic event has occurred and you cannot see the familiar red painted tiles of the roof of the Naturalist Society poking over the trees. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is winning? How come you get to set the conditions of victory? How come this is your decision that you get to make, Susan? Shouldn't it have been all of ours? Why did you think it was okay to take that away from us? You know, when I stood up, when the screaming finally stopped, and I walked over, we had to take Joan to the hospital. Ileana was gone, we couldn't even go to her if we wanted to. She still had the, the spike or something from that thing stuck in her back. She was screaming, she was moaning. And we couldn't let her go to the hospital with it, it would raise too many questions, so we had to get it out of there, Susan. And every time one of us tried to touch it, it burned and it stung. She pulls off one of the gloves that she's wearing and you can see the hand underneath is bandaged and where the bandage uh, is peeking through, you can see raw, red, angry skin. She says, I pulled it out so that she would be safe. I suffered for her because she needed it. Yeah, I think, I think Susan grimaces throughout that whole description. She never wanted um, her baby mortal women to end up so deep in it. It's weird, right? Because in one way, this this is what she's been training them for. And then on the other hand, it's always been like, they're they're so fragile for whatever reason, like Susan herself isn't, isn't as fragile, um, at least like in, in her own perception of herself. Mm-hmm. Mortality, I think, is a really interesting faction that way because you're all so much more vulnerable and you have so much more risk that when you like do succeed, like every win feels like so hard fought and there's like always so like, the, there's always, it seems so reasonable always to like turn and run because mm -hmm. you're just baby mortal women. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the big thing, of course, you left them without a leader. Yeah. You know, you, you left them to fend for themselves, even with whatever scant training they had, they couldn't turn to you because you were gone or you were drugged out or you were dealing with your own shit. Um, and uh, Joan would never, ever, ever um, like try to come for you for that. She would let that happen because she trusts you so deeply. Mm -hmm. I guess what I say to Nancy is um, sounds like I failed all of you. She, with her good hand, slaps you across the face. I, I'll resign. I'll, I don't know. You, you, you all deserve so much more. 
I'll I'll pursue this on my own. I think that would be Beth. Without a goodbye, she turns and crosses to the door of Roman's bedroom and slams it behind her. Where is Roman right now? We kind of discussed this. She, like, pulled the orb off, re-Susan's instructions, and I think was, like, I don't know, do we feel it's fair to say it was, like, minorly harmed? Like, she took a harm and is now, like, resting that off. Yeah, I think that's totally fair if that's how we want to play that. I, f- I feel like we very much set up this orb to be, like, we can do this, but there's a cost associated with, like, this ritual. And I think this specific, like, arc and scene and location is not necessarily about Roman sacrifice. And on top of that, like, it's like it just feels very Susan centered for good reason. And I like that. And I think I would just like Roman to be like, like just a cherry on top of the cake of like casualties that Susan has incurred. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's all of that's great. And, and we, yeah, as you said, we did have this kind of conversation about this the other day. So the question then that I want to pose to you is like, what is the next Roman centric thing that we want to do? Where is Roman interested in like checking in with Hazel, who question mark still lives with her? Is Roman trying to go and like meet Kitty and Knox and Philip as soon as they get back into city limits? Right now, I think, like, she's probably in the next room over or on the couch. So she's with Susan right now and maybe has been, like, with Nancy. I don't know, wiping the sweat off her forehead in her sleep and, like, lightly attending to her. But even though Susan's in a tough place, as soon as my sister's back in town, I'm going to be like, let's go to this ghost bar. (laughs) I want to get you your powers back. Roman is lying on the couch and she maybe stirs when she sees uh, Nancy come down the stairs and shoot her a sort of like conflicted pitying look and then step out of the house possibly for the last time. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to just barge in like you've made it clear that I'm the only person who knocks anyway in this house. <laughs> you knock and then barge in. What happened to my home? Roman like is kind of hamming up her broken arm a little like <laughs> well sorry and like drawing attention to it. Like how broken it is and also slips in the fact that like I'm not the one who set your apartment on fire that was a disembodied hand I just stopped it from spreading to your neighbors a disembodied hand set my apartment on fire I guess I shouldn't be surprised I don't think we have disembodied hand insurance that might be an act of God (laughs) and then Well, Kitty didn't, like, respond with anger like most people do or, like, sarcasm, and now Roman feels bad again. And it's like, sorry. Sorry about your drapes. Are you mad at your sister, Kitty? I'm less mad and more what Uh, happened. I was gone for two days. Disappointed. I don't think I'd be mad. Yeah. I'm not disappointed either. Oh, I'm confused. Well. I'm confused and concerned. I told you not to give her a spare key, and you said you wouldn't. I didn't. I don't know how they... Wait, you didn't tell me to do that. Philip Philip needs to just fucking go away. (laughs) (laughs) I I like Philip, but as a Roman, I hate that guy. I'm sorry. Yeah, Philip sucks. Hey, he's got good qualities and bad qualities, like everyone. Well, some of us only have good qualities. Yeah, no, she'll tell you what happened. Like, I came, full disclosure, I was snooping around. I don't know where you went. You just left in the middle of the night. I This is the longest I haven't talked to you since we went six years without talking to each other. So I was worried. <laughs> it goes six years and then a day and a half. <laughs> I'm starved for that sisterly affection. You left. <laughs> and then there was a hand and then the match and then the poof and then the gasoline. There was so much gasoline. Philip. Yes. Sorry, Knox told me to wait outside. I can come back in. <laughs> what what would the disembodied hand, that's Rex. What would he want in our home in our apartment? Well, he probably was trying to track us down. And then he did. And then I almost got shot. You were there. Oh. I was there. That does track. After Philip says that, um, I'll like sigh and sit on the couch and say why did you come after me? Well, I told you not to do that. 
I know, I know. You left the letter, and I was gonna. I actually was gonna leave you alone. I swear to God, I was. But I, I found this bar. It's so weird. In the middle of a, a bookstore. Anyway, not the point. Uh, uh, there's somebody I found who can get your powers back. Hmm. Uh, have you heard of the last hurrah? No, I don't really do much nightlife things. I'm sure it's a good place, but somebody there can give me my powers back. Um, I look like to Philip at that prospect. That, that, that would be a very a very dangerous path for you to take right now, Kitty. You're, you're safest as you are. I'm not going to force you to get your powers back, obviously. I just... I don't want you to do the thing that Philip says is going to keep you safest. I want you to do the thing that is ha- is going to make you the happiest. Like, well, I don't know if you know anything about anything, miss, but a physical safety does come. It's at the bottom of the, pi- do you know the pyramid? The pyramid one? I don't care if she's happy. I mean, I care if she's happy, of course, but I care more if she's alive. I should hope you do as well. Well, Philip, I of course care that my sister is alive, but I... Don't think you have any faith in Kitty's ability to take care of herself. And you know what? I didn't either at first. So I totally get it. But you better screw your head on straight. Uh, you better screw your head on straight. Because she totally kicks ass. This is also the guy who refused to tell her that, like, hitmen were hot on his trail. I didn't think they yeah. were hot on my trail. I thought I left without a trace. I was so careful. Oh, she, pretty okay, irresponsible. Roman is, like, going to pull out that... That uh, document that's like unbelievably incriminating, <laughs> and be well, like, "Oh, okay, Phoenix, right?" <laughs> Isn't the document though like essentially what he just admitted to us at the end of the last episode? I wasn't there, but I, she's using it as a point to be like, "Well, like you clearly don't think that your wife is so capable that you can share everything with her." Maybe she could have prepared and known that there was a hand coming to her house to burn it down. I didn't know there was a hand coming to the house to burn it down. If I had known that, I would have bought a second fire extinguisher or a mouse trap. You did n- know more than you let on. Oh, I... Look, you... In politics, in business, information is a liability. The more Kitty knows, the more of a target she was. It's not just... It's not just about tell everyone everything and let everyone decide what they want to do with every piece of information. It's about discretion. It's not about everyone. It's about your wife. That's your one single partner. Are you? I don't know if Kitty's getting stressed out that like these two people she cares about are like arguing. Very stressed. I love this woman more than anyone I've ever met in my life, including my own mama. He's a mama's boy too. Oh, you know. (laughs) He's so full of shit. Does not say that. I whatever. I, he owes me his life. I don't care. I can say whatever I want to him. You say Knox is full, or you say uh, Philip? Oh, is he's full shit. shit. He's saying because he's, he's saying that, but that doesn't make any sense because you, if 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 what you actually believe what you're saying, then you would have removed yourself from the situation. There's no I difference. I love of, this this whole with goddamn someone, jury of my peers that decide they know exactly what's best for Philippinakis and his wife. From what Kitty has told me, the entire lot of you are fuck ups just as bad as I am, if not worse. Roman, you've been shot how many times now? Or attacked or turned into a dog robin? You demon lad, you get into scrapes, you walked into an alley with two of Rex's goons so you could get double fucking smashed up? (laughs) Why are my decisions on trial here of anyone else's? Let's all agree that we're all just miserable, rotten pieces of shit and then decide to go from there. How does that sound? I ain't married to any of them. No, and you never will be, because you're really rude. Kitty's going to walk out of this room. It's, I don't think even Roman's going to notice that Kitty has left because she's like up in Philip's grill being like, at least I'm being true to myself and fighting for things that I care about instead of running away and not telling my wife anything because I think she's just like a bird in a cage, like going off on this man. (laughs) It's good. Kitty, you find yourself in the kitchen of Roman's uh, large tenement house. You can hear lots of shouting in the next room. What do you do? She'd make me make some tea. So Kitty, with like a few mugs of tea, is going to walk in because she is forever a hostess, I guess, even in her sister's house. Please, please, everybody be quiet and stop. Roman, you're also 
presuming what's best for me still. And Philip, I've been very clear with you that I value transparency. I think I would like to have my powers back. I didn't get rid of them on purpose. And hopefully we'll figure out this whole Rex thing and Mayor Graham thing. And it'll all be a moot point. Please, please stop yelling and stop saying what I need. Um, this is chamomile. I thought maybe it would help everyone calm down a little bit. Philip heaves a heavy sigh and sinks into an armchair in the corner that has a missing spring and he goes a little bit lopsided. Roman Roman is kind of strange and not like me at all in that she can like kind of turn on a dime on her feelings and like be bickering with someone and like act like they hate them and then just be like, oh, this is fine. Like it's like when Knox was gonna like turn her into Swiss cheese and then she was like, we can be friends immediately after. Very adaptable, very sort of like fluid and chameleon-y is how I feel about Roman. Yeah, um, so I think she's maybe like her version of feeling bad and apologizing because she doesn't want to apologize in front of all these people. That's so embarrassing. It's just going to make a joke and be like, well, he is my brother-in-law, you know, bickering siblings. And the joke doesn't land. <laughs> she just like takes a sip of chamomile tea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Katie. I think we're all under a lot of stress right now, given the circumstances. I want to help you and help you make decisions that are going to keep you safe. And sometimes that can make me very forward or very controlling. And I don't want to be that way to you. He's saying like each word through gritted teeth, like it's pulling like a fucking voodoo doll pin out of his spine. And he looks over at you, Roman, and he says, uh, I think we have the same thing in common, Roman, in that we both love and care for Kitty a great deal. That was very sincere, and now Roman feels like she also has to say something. As, like, a peace offering. <sighs> kind of, like, maybe unintentionally social mirroring Philip through gritted teeth is, like, I did not mean to presume what's best for Kitty or if I projected my own need for freedom from uh, whatever, I don't know. Um, Kitty, I won't bring up the last hurrah again. You can come to me if you want us to go. Uh, I'll stop. I think Philip and Roman are both kind of like sitting in the corners of the room and looking up at you, Kitty, with sort of pleading eyes like, did we do good? Is it over now? Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm satisfied. I'm going to ask Roman what happened to her arm. Uh, fun, you should ask. This is kind of the tip of the iceberg, this arm. It's this is it's barely a fracture, really. But um, where do I start? Ileana's gone. Hazel's maybe a demon. I think Joan is in critical care. Uh, oh, Susan is upstairs kind of dying and maybe lost all of her friends. Um, you know, kind of not my wheelhouse at all. Like, is Susan like dying, dying? Like, I can't call her down here, can I? Susan, Susan can walk. And in fact, Susan probably has maybe you walk like with assistance, uh, at least for like right now. Um, and you obviously have heard a chorus, a cascade of familiar <laughs> angry voices in the past 15 minutes. As we know, noise travels heavily in Friend Mansion. <laughs> you, you should you should use your big gun as a crutch. That would be a real I love that fucking <laughs> shit. That's so Susan Starling. Are you kidding me? Hey, you want to hobble down here and do some story time? God, not at all. You were all yelling at each other. I just got yelled at. Uh, I think you all hate me. I don't hate you. I don't know that. 
Well, I, mm, I <laughs> you can't hide up there forever. You come down there, or we come up to you. If, if you don't come down, yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, <laughs> I guess I like come down to get a glass of water or something. I don't want to be part of this, but we'll get sucked into it anyway. It's a really uncomfortable vibe as Susan descends the creaky stairs down to the living room on the first floor as the five of you are, um, with a great amount of tension, sipping your chamomile tea. We're all looking at you, Susan. Can I help you? Are you okay? No. No, nothing's okay. What happened? We fought a demon. That's what happened. Did you win? Is that what happened to the park? That's the big question, isn't it? I... I honestly don't know. Ileana was opening portals. Malorax is a nightmare of a creature. Uh... There were a lot more casualties than I anticipated. There were a lot more casualties? I see Roman broke her arm. You look pretty roughed up. I don't I don't want to fucking talk about it. Drop it. All right. Um, Kitty at one drop it would probably drop it. I wonder how, uh, how much Nox... I mean, the last interaction you had with Hazel largely was like, we should figure out how to not be in the thrall of demons anymore. And then it seems like Hazel uh, kind of went went on some effort there. I mean, you remember Malarax, the name of her demon that she mentioned in your conversation with her. Like, as Nox invested in this outcome with Hazel, we kind of uh, left you and Hazel on this sort of, like, ambiguous note of being, like, very alike, but also both of you having a lot of stuff going on. Um, and no one has seen her or asked where she is since uh, this all happened. Yeah, I guess I'll ask point blank where she is to Susan. Being the last person that's seen her, presumably. I don't even know what day of the week it is. Wait, what? You... She was with you and then just wasn't? Susan, I think, is saying that she, like, passed out after this battle and then has just woken up now, like, 12 hours later. Yeah, that's definitely disconcerting for... Well, a number of reasons. Practical ones, as well as, like, you know... Obviously, an amount of care for this person who actually seemed to have a vested interest in my well-being. So uh, that's reciprocated. I think it just, if that's the case, it just seems like doubling down on what the plan already is. Or, well, what Laxies has told me with, with Rex and all these these demons, that, that seems to be kind of still the best course of action. Lest we fall into a planning scene... Which just uh, jumps the scares the pants off me after all the momentum we've had. Knox wants to figure out how to strike at Rex Lemaire. Susan wants to kill all demons, fairy godparents. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do, I do want to know where Hazel is. Um, I want to know where Hazel. I want to know where Hazel is. I want to know if it worked. Well, if anybody else knows where Hazel is, I, I need to talk to her. This whole thing was about trying to free her from her patron, and I. I I need to know if it worked. You take in the drawn, tired, stressed out faces, the smell of chamomile tea in the air, as you all realize that none of you have seen Hazel in the past few days, and that your long, long list of problems is only getting longer as the exhibition and the fate of the city approach. Roman, Kitty, and Philip want to head to the last hurrah to talk to the ghostly bartender Charlie Pendergast. Oh, Philip, you're... Uh, no, never mind. No problem. Okay, let's go. Oh, oh, he's coming. <laughs> I, I mean, you've, you've brought him to Fairside now. His apartment's uninhabitable, so he kind of has, even if he wanted, like, other options, no other options, but to, like, throw his lot in with all of you. So now I have, uh, like, a sexy kind of sultry DM PC to play with, and then I also have Hazel. Is the last hurrah full, or is it like last time where it's like dead empty again? Roman, you see a full and bustling bar of various specters and ghouls. Kitty, you see an empty bar, dead silent. Philip says, is it closed currently? It's not drinking hours yet, but it's almost five. You'd think someone would be here. It's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah, so you cross over to the bar. Um, Kitty behind you, just kind of looking at this empty room. 
and uh, Roman appears to strike up a conversation with nobody. Charlie leans over the bar. Uh, she has her little red bow tie, her hair drawn back, uh, charming green eyes and a wide smile, and she says, I'd hope to have the pleasure of your business again. How are you, Roman? Good, how are you? You know, I think, uh, I think things are getting to people these days. Seems a little bit uh, dour down here, even, you know, more than usual. How are things on the surface? Kind of crazy. Uh, we'll get into it. I brought my very cute sister and her husband, whatever. <laughs> Liven up the place. This place was live enough when you came in, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> she, uh, she says, all right. She pours two shots from an unlabeled bottle uh, from the uh, back row of the bar. And Kitty and Philip, you see ghostly shot glasses floating of their own accord over to the bar in front of you. Oh, um... I don't really drink hard liquor. I put a steadying hand on my sister, kind of like, just, just be cool. <laughs> well, I guess it's like you said, honey, it's it's five o'clock somewhere. He takes the shot. Uh, I'll take the shot too. Kitty with a shudder as the, as the hot liquor uh, hits the back of your throat. Suddenly um, fading into view are dozens of ghouly, ghostly patrons of the last hurrah all around you. To your left is a woman who looks like she is wearing a uh, performance costume, except that her head is um, sort of like hanging from a very elongated accordion folded neck. Then she's sort of bobbing around and trying to get her drink up to reach her mouth. Uh, and on Philip's right is the man who has the pipe exploding from the front of his face. Nice. Love that guy. Um, could you could you just could you just get the drink over to my to my could you just be a deer and get the drink over to my mouth that would be so nice. Uh, okay. Um I like very scared help this woman. No, get a debt from her. She upside down. <laughs> Say you'll <laughs> Say you'll do it for you a debt. saved the ghost accordion neck woman's life. <laughs> she uh she takes an upside down slurp of her martini and she says you're just a peach. Thank you so much. Roman, where are we? What's happening? Philip, do you see this? Welcome to the last hurrah. Roman, I said you could bring friends here, but not if they're squares. Ooh. <laughs> Only time it's gonna happen. This is my sister who, uh, you know, the power thing, getting that back, mm -hmm. and then we're donezo. And Philip will be cool. And I like shoot him a glance, be cool. Philip is like, touching the pipe that's coming out of the guy's face. And it's like, don't you don't do touch the guy's that. pipe. That's just, it's a normal, just have a conversation. Charlie looks over your shoulder, Roman, at the two of them, and she says, uh, okay, just, just the one time. And only because it's you asking. <laughs> she says, uh, why don't you accompany me back to my quarters? Uh, since I don't think things are going so hot out here on the bar floor. And she, uh, turns and strides off over to the office that you saw the last time you were at the last hurrah. Inside the office, she has a big bookshelf on the wall. You can see she's left out a bunch of the books that she was rummaging through when you last came to see her. And she says, um, so, uh, I've been doing a little bit more reading since the last time you darkened my doorstep, you little rascal, you. And, um, I've looked at some options here now. It seems like there were some um, hesitations, compunctions, moral obligations uh, when last we discussed what paths we might take to restore this poor woman's second sight. Is that still the case? Kitty, do you have a yellow belly? Yes. <laughs> she says the, the principle we're operating here is one of an exchange, right? This um, this magic can't be conjured out of anywhere. Only with a only with a certain lady's smile can magic be conjured out of. Nowhere, if you get my drift. It has to come from somewhere. I think some options are if you have someone else who has powers that they are not wanting, that they would want to lose, uh, I could do a swap that would probably be non-violent for the most part. It's been a while since I've experienced violence and can really vouch for that, but uh, as best as I can tell. Um, there is also, and again, it seems like this one was not the one we wanted to go down, more of the blood sacrifice angle. Also have not had blood myself for several decades, so it's not something I really think about much, but I know you uh, fleshies get a little bit touchy about the stuff. Um, what are we thinking? That's all up to Kitty. I'm not not down for a blood sacrifice. I'm not down for a blood sacrifice. 
Okay. Philip squeezes your hand, Kitty. He says, um, you know, I want you to take your time and make the decision that's right for you here. Is that kind of our two options? But who... Ileana's gone? Long gone, and I don't think she would be giving up her powers anytime soon. Anyway. If you have another way of, of generating a huge amount of magical energy, um, I can try to work with that. You know, it's 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 power. It's power's got to come from somewhere. And it can be any power. It doesn't have to be the same power. Uh, it's better if it's same power. It's a lot easier for me. I'm not a not an expert in this kind of thing. You know, I'm just trying to help out a pretty lady. You understand. I'm partially like looking at Philip on this because it seems like he knows. But like, what about the spire? What about these carrot crystal things? There's got to be something there. Philip says, um, yes, the, the crystals are known to amplify power. If, um, I, <laughs> I promise you, I'm also not an expert in anything like this. If you want to know about magic, talk to a magician. But, uh, it's possible if we attained a quantity of them that, uh, we could amplify a smaller amount of magic or even ambient magic into a more powerful force needed to restore Kitty's powers. Lots of crystals make big magic. Go boom. So Roman's confused. What would you need us to do? Bring crystals here? Charlie says, uh, I don't know exactly what crystals you're talking about, but um, if you have something that can amplify magic and you can bring it to me, even something like uh, yourself, miss, uh, you know, it's pretty clear that you've got a little bit of energy. Well, a lot of energy coming off you. So if you were to induce a magical effect, we amplify it through the crystals. Might be able to uh, to collect some of the uh, the ambient magic of Arcadia, the Fey Realm. You said that's where your whole kind of thing comes from, yeah? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but if we did that, you said, would Roman lose her magic? She might suffer some unpleasant side effects and i would do my absolute best as a lover not a fire to minimize those as much as possible but i don't think she would die or anything i mean it would be i don't know exactly how iliana took your magic away she's uh she makes me look like a fucking kid playing with tinker toys over here so uh i don't know how i would possibly remove roman's powers from her i don't think I don't think it would happen. I think if you amplify it and you do it safely, you just need a sort of like a... She'd almost be acting like a jumper cable for a car. Let's do it. We'll come back one last time. With these crystals. Oh, not the last time. Maybe the last time with company. <laughs> yeah. Okay, if you are okay, it sounds risky. I don't want you to do anything you're not comfortable doing. Kitty, everything I do is risky. <laughs> It's really nothing. <laughs> Philip says uh, not to be outdone. He's like, well, I'm I'm aware of a location where we can ascertain great quantities of these crystals. Okay. All right. There's a facility in the north end of the city where uh, the mayor was planning to produce and manufacture uh, what she needed for her plan. So uh, it's liable to be highly, highly guarded and very dangerous. But um, maybe I could try to... Talk my way in. How many would we need? Lots? Charlie and, and Philip kind of have some shop talk where they like identify the size of the crystal, like kind of what they're talking about specifically. And um, Charlie says, yeah, two or three boxes. Boxes. Okay. So we do have Whoa. to go. Okay. The two crystals that we know where they are is <laughs> not going to be enough. You got to go to the source. Okay. Um... Give Charlie that the warmest, the warmest goodbye because she's just such a peach. Um, How warm? Like, like almost tongue? hot, like like that kind. Like, got it. She's excited. She's happy to see you there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we we go. Knox and Susan want to find Hazel. Detectives, Detective Knox and Susan. Delilah and Gregory, on the case. Nice. What's going on? Uh, 
So seeing as how you seem to not have uh, any qualms about working with Hazel, I'm assuming that we are on some type of more solid ground now. Hazel and I came to an understanding. Okay. I I agreed I would help her get rid of her patron in hopes that it would set her free. And why did that become so important to like you? Like Hazel, Hazel specifically, is that what you're asking? Well, I mean, you told me to take a hike and my motivations don't really seem much more different. The only difference is that I've known you longer. God, where's the fan? <laughs> so much shade. Snap. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I admit to my prejudices. Don't like demons. I don't like interacting with them. Frankly, didn't know I could trust you. You didn't tell me anything about yourself. Well, what you could do it took you a long time to get to any point of honesty. So forgive me. Yeah, okay, I forgive you. <laughs> okay, she raises her eyebrows and that was easy. What? Everybody hates me. Why don't you hate me kind of way? Well, I mean, whatever. I mean, <laughs> let's just set ourselves to the task at hand here. Uh, I know you said it's it's hazy the last time you saw Hazel. Um, but even if it's vague images or something to go on, I know that perhaps returning if you're ready to the natural society may render some type of clue hazel was in a magic circle and when the demon was summoned she got like thrown out of the circle and then there was a lot of shooting and a lot of tails flying and a lot of bad things happened and then the portal opened and iliana and the demon's body got sucked into the portal uh, and that's where everything kind of goes dark. Okay, that sounds like a pretty cold case. Uh, Don't you, can because the two of you are like demon connected, do you have any kind of... <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. I think arguably you've spent the most time together out of anyone. What do you know about her? Well, she also is a woman of culture who enjoys jazz. I'm trying to scrub through our brief conversation. I guess uh, if, if, if I'm going to hit the street, I'm going to try and put my my ear to the ground. Uh, was it the hummingbird that the whole entire campaign started in? Yeah. That's my uh, my gut check. Can you uh, hit the streets and roll with mortality? Uh, yes. Uh, ooh. Ah. Uh, uh, four. Ugh. Okay. Uh, that's good. I think that you head to the hummingbird and, um, you find Midge tending bar. God, so many hot bartenders in this campaign. That's I just... specifically requested it, so thank you. You've delivered. I give people what they want. It's, uh, it's, yeah, like, I guess, uh, Katie and, and Philip and Roman were going to the last straw sort of as it was opening. This is, like, as the hummingbird is opening, too. And I think Midge gives you an earful, Knox, when you walk in. You must have a lot of nerve showing your face around here these days. You know how long it's been since they tried to book you for a gig? You don't answer your calls? You don't answer your texts? So go knock on your door? You know where to be found? Yeah, I've been busy. Listen, Midge. Matt uh, and Jackson, they, they, they're ghosts. They're totally gone. What's going on here? Is someone trying to pull a prank on <laughs> no, you? I got a stage to film. Midge, they skipped town. Hey, look, there's a whole thing, and I promise I'll come back and I'll make it all up. But right now, I just need to know... You, you know, you know Hazel, yeah. Oh, oh, oh! Do I know Hazel? What's the story there? Something, does something happen? She's worried sick about you. Okay, she won't, she won't keep you, keep your dirty name out of her mouth for Christ's sake. You saw her moaning day and night. When? When did you see her? I saw her. You have no idea where she is. No. Oh, good Lord, Knox! Listen to me, young man. Well, shut your mouth. Listen to Midge for just one hot minute of your life. I don't know what you did to that poor girl. You broke her heart. You just ruined her. She's a total wreck. She has done nothing but moan and cry and weep over you for the past 18 hours. Well, no, she's done one other thing. It's been drinking herself half to death. I'm not going to let you see her unless I know you've got any kind of gentlemanly intention. You rolled a four. I came here looking for her. I'm not proven enough that 
I'm, I'm concerned. It's proof of something. Would she talk to Susan? She didn't mention your name, but uh, I suppose you can't be half as much trouble as this fucker over here. Knox, why don't you wait out here and make yourself useful? Wipe down the counter or something. No, I'm not wiping down your counters. All right, then why don't you wait outside the bar? Is that, are you, are you removing me? Are you going to use old Bill over there to muscle me out? You know, it's great that you think the whole universe revolves around you and your problems Jesus and all your shit to do, but uh, guess what? It doesn't. So if, you, if you're going to give me lip, you can wait outside the bar like a fucking good dog. How about that? Can I just have a fucking drink? Can I, why? Why? I, I'm I, like Miz. I'm sorry. I'll play some shows and and stuff. I, I, I'm without a fucking band. I'm trying to get back on my feet. You know, it's not all been, you know, sunrises and fucking wonderful times on the Noxus side of the pond either. Here, have yourself a seat. You'll be served when I get to you. Yeah, that's fine. Thanks, Miz. She takes you, Susan, into the back of the bar. She lives above the hummingbird as proprietress. And uh, there's like a little side room that she has rigged up. And you can see that inside lying on a like old beat up sofa is Hazel. She is still wearing the like shredded, bloody clothes that you last saw her in. And her hand is firmly curled around an open bottle of gin. The smell of alcohol just like reeks in this room as uh, Midge opens the door and she says, I like Knox. He's normally a very nice young man, but whatever he did to her, it was bad. Okay? Yeah, you don't have to tell me. Thanks. You are alone in this room with Hazel. She stirs as she hears you approach. She says, What now? It's Susan. Who's there? Knock, knock. I don't get this one. Hazel, it's me. It's Susan. I thought you died. I assure you I did not. I, I take the bottle out of her hand. <laughs> she uh, she uh, flops her arm over her face and she's like, just go, just leave me here. Darling, why are you so upset? You don't know what it's like. You don't know what I've gone through. You're right. I probably don't. Would you like to tell me? No. Yes. I don't know. All right. I um, <laughs> kneel beside the couch and just like stroke her hair. Do you want to roll to persuade an NPC? Yeah, sure. It's a nine. One of seven to nine, what happens? They modify the terms or demand a debt. She wanted to demand a debt from you? I don't think that's as useful. I think she's going to modify the terms. She says... <sighs> Tell me the truth, Susan. I bet Knox sent you here, didn't he? We came together, but I had my own interest in your well-being. We had a deal, you know. How could he just do that? How could he just turn his back on me when I needed help and he said he was going to help me? And then I went I went to his house and he wasn't there. He didn't leave a note or nothing. And a It's going to be all right. You sound like a robot. I am sorry. I'm not. I am not good at this. Did it work, Hazel? Are you free? She um, snatches at the gin bottle, but you keep it uh-uh. out of her grip. She says, I'm not free. I'm, I'm more cursed than I've ever been before in my life. What? But, but Malarax, Malarax is dead. I know. And now look at me. Now what am I? I'm just a, a, a useless lump. Oh, don't say that. I can't, I can't sing. I can't play music. I have no friends. I have no family. I have nothing to my name. I'm just going to die here in the back of this shitty bar. <laughs> I will not let you die here. But I wanna. <laughs> you might feel differently tomorrow when you wake up with a clear head. So what? So so Rex can track me down and pull my skull out of my head with some kind of de-skullifying device? Well, here's the thing. I don't think the demons can find you anymore. <laughs> they can... <sighs> They can, they can do anything. There's, there's nothing we can do. They hold no sway over you anymore. Can't even, can't even play the piano. 
You can learn, right? You've got all the time in the world. You're young, you're beautiful, you can do anything. I guess you got a, a mixed success on this persuading NPC. She uh, sniffles heavily and she looks up and she says, Even if that was true, is there even gonna be a world anymore? If I have anything to do with it, yes. She, with the heels of her hands, uh, smears her makeup badly and wipes the tears out of her eyes. And she says, I've never felt so empty before in my life. Even, even when I was at the Drake, even when I was suffering, I had, I had a purpose and I had a goal and I had power and, and now I, I, I don't have any of that. I don't have anything, Susan. Have you ever lost everything you've ever had? Yes. Yes, I have. What did you do? We're about to find out. She woozily stands up and she says, Can I go beat up Knox? <laughs> yeah, will that make you feel better, love? Yeah. All right, let's go. Okay. <laughs> Knox, you're, you're sitting in your corner booth at the Hummingbird as uh, Susan is coaxing uh, drunk, sleep-deprived, delirious Hazel out of the back room of the bar. Hazel, I was so worried that... The Something happened to you. I heard about what happened with you-know-who, and so I didn't know where you were or what was going on. You weren't worried about shit, okay? I actually do think he cares about you, hon. She throws herself down into the booth and uh, puts her head in her hands and leans heavily against the tabletop. Hazel, I, I just... We had some things that we really had to take care of, and it's the first thing I tried to do when I got back to find out what happened to you, and here I am, as quickly as I could be. She shoots you a look, Susan. Is he lying? No, I've seen him lie enough times. He's honest now. Knox, I'm, it feels so different now. Don't you feel free? What's it feel like? It's free, but it's, it's, it's scary. It's like the, the ground went away from under me. I can't feel the, the, the magic the same way I could. I feel like I can't feel anything, like someone cut off my hand. Well, it's definitely going to take some readjusting going from seemingly having your wishes granted with a contingency to, as we said, complete freedom. But we knew that ahead of time, right? You knew what, you know, you might, what, what the price would be and I mean, let me ask you point blank. Would you would you turn back the clock and go back to what you had? No, but... No. Knowing things and feeling them are from chapters from two very different books. It's, it's fair. Well, uh, you're only a few days into this process. I think that we can both agree that it's going to take a little bit longer than that. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, I think Hazel says... Um, I want to see Roman. Let's go to Roman's. She stands up, uh, crosses to the bar at the Hummingbird, drinks a liter and a half of water without stopping. Midge looks over at the two of you and says, uh, is she good? Are you good? We'll be fine. Thank you for looking, looking after her. It's the bartender's coat. We're still far from good, but I think we're on track. I think you gently walk a, a gradually sobering Hazel back towards Roman's house. And I think she uh, heads inside and um, looks around at the living room that she's, you know, at least spent a handful of hours in in the past week and feels maybe the most like a comforting environment than uh, anywhere she's been in the last five years. And she sits down and she uh, looks up at the two of you again. And you can see that her vision's a bit clearer. Her head is not as wobbly. She says, um, Susan, thank you for, thank you for setting me free. You're, you're welcome. It, it had a hefty cost, but I'm happy we did it. And thank you, both of you, for coming to get me. I think maybe... There was part of me that thought that once you were 
done with that, that you were just going to, I don't know, leave me behind and just not ever talk to me again. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm just being crazy, but I just, no one was around and everyone was suddenly just gone. And I, I haven't had the easiest time of it. I know, darling, I know. It's uh, been a very intense 24 hours for you, for everyone. So we, uh, we had to take care of our own and I'm sorry that you came second, but uh, we, we do care about you. The door opens and Philip, Kitty, and Roman walk in. I think probably in like reasonable spirits after like a mostly promising uh, encounter with Charlie Pendergast at the last hurrah. Uh, you see Knox and, and Susan kind of standing over and comforting a very weary and bone tired looking Hazel. Um, she says, I get it. I get it. It's you have to do what you have to do. Are you... Sorry, are all, are all of you okay? Is everything okay? What's what's happening? What are... And she looks up and she looks at all of you stepping in and she says, What are we doing next? Thanks for listening to episode 17 of Lakeshore. This campaign is officially longer than our Tallow campaign. Wow, look at that. We will be back on September 29th with the next episode. Until then, let me tell you about another podcast you might enjoy. If you're looking for a new adventure-filled, action-forward, comedy-centric, actual-play D&D podcast, then check out our friends at Dice Shame. Joe, her partner Harlan, his brother Alex, and their friends Rob and Justin are tackling Storm King's Thunder by Wizards of the Coast and having a blast doing it. You can find them at DiceShamePodcast.com.